So, you know, Pastor Brock and all other real pastors can come in and preach with a Bible. They walk up to the pulpit and that's it. Uh, That's not me. (laughs) So uh, these guys are helping me kind of get things settled. I appreciate that. Um, Thank you, Callie, for your prayer this morning. I appreciate that, too. Uh, Thank you, guys. You've been so incredible to uh, so kind to Pastor Brock. Thanks, man. Um, So kind to Pastor Brock and Pastor Kim. Really generous. Um, And I know how much they appreciate that. Uh, They are on two weeks of vacation uh, before he starts his responsibilities as the Northwest District Superintendent. And so uh, we're excited for him, excited for that. And so uh, to prepare for that shift in responsibilities, they wanted to take a little time together and pray and uh, go to Disney World, you know, priorities. So <laughs> so that's where they're at. So that's been great. Um, I wanted to let you know kind of what's going on next. Don't mind my Idaho potatoes. You'll understand soon. All right. Um, so I wanted to let you know a little bit, uh, just kind of one of the things that are going on. First of all, it's really a privilege uh, to get to speak today. So thank you for that. I know you didn't really have much choice, but I appreciate being here anyway. So thank you. Um, uh, let's take a look. If you look at your bulletin, I should have brought one up, sorry. On the back page, so if you just flip it over. Hey, Carol, thanks. On the back page um, is the preaching schedule. So all the staff, we're just taking turns. And so uh, it's really a privilege for all of us to get to speak and to teach. And so you kind of see who's coming next there. Um, so that'll, that'll help you track that. Um, and um, as we get going on July 11th, uh, Pastor Brian's going to actually start our study on Acts. And so each week the scripture will be in there so that you can read the scripture before that week so that you can kind of be prepared. All right, that'd be great. Uh, that's available to you, remember, online if you want to check out uh, our website or the PFN Connect app. That bulletin's there too so you can see, you know, who's doing what. All right. Um, other things you need to know. Okay. Pastor Brock will continue to meet with our church staff, with our church board. Uh, both have filled out a survey, uh, about, uh, what characteristics they think should be in our next leader. What's important to them. So in the July meeting, they're going to go over all the survey, all that information, and then they're going to begin their first steps in choosing our leader. So that's kind of exciting, isn't it? So who will they be? Will they be a woman or will it be a man? We don't know. How old will they be? Will they be single or will they have a family? What will their background be? What will their ethnic background be? What color will their skin be? What will their life experiences be? I have no idea. I'm so excited. I think it'll look a little bit like this. Wow, the dramatic effect is excellent, isn't it? (laughs) Okay. Maybe not exactly like that, but we don't know, right? And so as we're praying and dreaming about this, um, the best thing all of us can be doing is praying for our new leader, right? And so, so many of you are already doing that. I thank you for that. If you haven't been, will you start doing that or will you continue to be praying for our new leader? Um, We don't really know who it's going to be. And so that's pretty exciting. Um, Okay. I wanted to let you know (laughs) that I'm going on sabbatical for the month of July. I know this is really bad timing, and I'm so sorry about this. So I've been on staff at PFN for 19 years. 
Um, and the church board has extended this offer uh, for a month of rest for me. And so I kind of requested it back in early March when we had no idea that the sky was falling. And so uh, I am so sorry, <laughs> but I wanted you to know the church uh, staff is gonna do incredible. Um, I will be back August 1st and honest to goodness, you won't even miss me. So it'll be like you blink and I'm right back, okay? So I just wanted you to know where I was. Do not freak out. Not like it's that, that important, but anyway, I'm coming back, all right? So uh, just so you know that's going on. Um, so if you'll take out your sermon notes, um, sorry, Carol, I have your sermon notes now. Um, there's one right there in front of you if you want it. Um, inside your bulletin is sermon notes. And so today uh, I wanted to learn together uh, about Kalubai. All right, so Kalubai's story is in Numbers 13, 14, 26, 32, 34, Deuteronomy 1, Joshua 14, 15, 21, and Judges 1. We are not going to read all of that today, <laughs> but I wanted you to know where his story was at. So in case this week, if you want to check him out, um, you know where to look, all right? He was the son of Jephunneh. Uh, who was a Canaanite, all right? That's where they grew up, was in Canaan, so they were Canaanites. At that time, this, the Canaanite people were slaves to the Hebrew people. So let's talk about that for a minute, because if you go look up that scripture, you're going to find three words that talk about the same group of people. Hebrew, Israelite, Jew. They use those interchangeably, but it can get a little bit confusing. So there was a guy named Abraham who had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob. And so all the descendants of those guys are Hebrew Israelite Jews. Okay. So those three words describe the same group of people, where they live, who their family was and what religion they were. Today, I'm going to use the word Hebrew. But if you read through any of that this week and you see those different words, all talking about the same people. Okay. So the Canaanites were slaves to the Hebrews. Now, a new pharaoh came into leadership. So what's a pharaoh? Okay, in the country of Egypt, they had a king dictator kind of a guy. Okay, and his, his title was pharaoh. So when the pharaoh had an oldest son, that son would become the next pharaoh and the next pharaoh. So there was the next pharaoh, and that pharaoh decided not only would the Canaanites be slaves, but he decided the Hebrews would be slaves also. Part of the reason was the Hebrews were reproducing numbers really quickly and it kind of freaked him out, like there was going to be a coup. And so he decided if we, if we make both of them slaves, then we have control over them. So they were pretty harsh on the Hebrew slaves. So Kalubai and his family um, experienced the plagues that were happening in Egypt. During that time, there was a guy named Moses who was trying to lead the Hebrew nation out of Egypt and out of slavery. So Moses would go see Pharaoh. Pharaoh would say, no, your people can't go. Moses would say, let my people go. And they'd go back and forth and back and forth. And the God of the Hebrews sent plagues on Egypt. While the Canaanite slaves and the Egyptians both experienced the plagues, the Hebrews lived over here in Goshen, and they were faring very well. They didn't get boils and locusts and gnats and rivers of blood and frogs and all the stuff that these guys were doing. So Calebi says to himself, I think I'm going to Goshen. Sounds like a smart guy, right? I think I'm going to take my family to Goshen and see what's going on over there. Plus, I'm like a shirt tail relation to these Hebrew people. A long time ago in my family, a Canaanite man married a Hebrew woman. So somewhere there's blood in there. So maybe they'll let me in because he knew that was a hope for his family. They were slaves. The Hebrews were slaves. If they were going to leave Egypt, maybe they could leave Egypt with them. And then they wouldn't be slaves anymore. They would have protection 
and they would have this hope for a freedom for their future, right? So Caleb and his family locate the leaders of the Hebrew tribe of Judah. That was kind of his arm of the family, okay? And when they got there and he had the conversation with the leaders, they were not convinced that he was family or that he was a friend. Um, so he was trying to convince them. Remember, um, when the heel of Pharaoh came down really hard on you, my family continued to barter grain for goats. Do you remember that? Remember when Pharaoh denied you straw to make bricks? I gave you all that I had. So it's really time to not forget <laughs> who's been kind to you, who's been nice to you. Um, okay, so in high school, I had Spanish class. And in Spanish class, in my hour, um, the Spanish teacher gave you a new name that was close to your name. Do you remember that at all? So my name's Cheryl. And so she said, now you will be Concepcion. Okay, so that was my new name. Isn't that close? My parents were so proud I came home and my Spanish name was Conception. Fantastic. So... Um, <laughs> So that uh, was my new name there. So Calebi and Canaanite, when, he, when the Hebrews finally said, okay, you guys can come with us, the Hebrew translation of Calebi is Caleb, all right? So now we know him as Caleb, but did you know that Caleb translates to dog? I'm so sorry if your name is Caleb. I did not decide that, all right? So they were not renaming him in a positive way. Okay, because they were recognizing that he was the guy who was following along with his little family collecting their scraps. All right. So with his new name, Caleb made up his mind that he was going to make sure they understood and recognized him as a man of honor and a man of courage. So that was going to take a little something for them to kind of relearn him. So the Hebrews and Caleb's family were finally commanded to, to leave Egypt by Pharaoh. Hooray. And so he longed to be counted among God's people. He was really kind of surprised because some of the Hebrews were pretty upset with Moses, their leader, because they thought he was bringing more hardship on them. So it confused Caleb a little bit because he felt like those Hebrews were worshiping God, but they didn't really believe that God was the most powerful or that he had this way, that he was making this way for them. And so um, it's kind of interesting when you study his story, Caleb had more faith than a lot of the Hebrews that he was trying to join. Uh, so let's consider what Caleb might have been experiencing as he traveled with the Hebrew nation. Life had become confusing. Uh, freedom was not the simple matter he had dreamed. So as a slave, he knew what the day would hold and how to get through it, right? That routine. Now he didn't know what the next morning would bring. Every day was different. He didn't know where he would camp or for how long or why a particular place was chosen for them to camp. He pitched his tents near the tribe of Judah every evening, but there were always others around them, strangers vying for a better position. How was he any different from all the rest of these, though? Ambitious for themselves and their families, craving something better now that they um, had better than they had known because now uh, freedom was demanding that. Uh, they had come with the reality of daily decisions that had always been made for them and now they had the freedom to make them for themselves. Uh, Caleb had liked to think of himself as shrewd. He was able to find his own way, but he realized now that he was the same as all these other people. He had been born and raised in a mud hut and lived all his life on one small plot of land that he worked for Pharaoh's benefit. Now he was in constant turmoil, out of his element. Instead of dwelling in one place, he traveled great distances and lived in a tent like a desert nomad. This was not the life that he had imagined. 
So during the day for the Hebrew nation, a pillar of cloud followed them. During the night, a pillar of fire. Now, I have heard that my whole life. I have never understood it <laughs> until now. I didn't know I didn't understand it until God, you ever, does God ever give you like a light switch? Aha, now I get it. This I get now. So John likes to watch nature shows, National Geographic, all those nature shows. And so if it's a show about a desert, there's like a little poof of cloud here and a little poof of cloud there, and that's it. They estimate that there were a million, at least a million Hebrews traveling together, plus all their stuff, plus all their animals. That is a huge traveling group, right? So there'd been a lot of dust. There would have been a lot of noise, probably a little stinky. You know what they didn't get? Sunburned because this huge cloud followed them everywhere. Can you picture that? I was not picturing it right. So they probably were hot and they probably were dehydrated and thirsty, but they were never sunburned. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And so from a long distance away, you could have seen that massive cloud, right? Following them. And then at night, what happens in the desert? It gets really cold. And so this pillar of fire not only heated them, but it kind of protected them because you also would have been able to see this huge open flame over all these people from a long distance away. So it didn't keep away all of the marauders and the bad guys, but it kept away a lot of them because I'm not approaching a million people with open flame above them, <laughs> right? So I just, didn't, I just didn't think about that right. So maybe you did, and I'm just catching up with you. But good job, because I think that's really important for us to recognize they never got sunburned. I just, I just can't get over that. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Isn't that kind of God? Like he knew, hey, they're going to be in the desert. We got to take some care here. I just think that's cool. All right, so Caleb witnessed the opening of the Red Sea. Caleb's life like became totally different, didn't it? So he, they're, they're going to the, Moses spreads the Red Sea. Caleb and his family literally walk across the bottom of the Red Sea safely to the other side and then turn around and see as the waters rush over the Egyptians that were following them. Incredible. That's incredible. Then other nations decided that they were going to start threatening the Hebrews. So Caleb, who's like a go-getter, decided he was going to fight to defend them. And so there was a guy named Joshua who was Moses's like second in command guy. And he was sort of in charge of the, we're going to fight, we're going to protect people. And so Caleb ran up alongside of him. Now here's the problem. Caleb was a farmer. So Caleb brought with him this kind of stuff. Right? Because he was a farmer. He didn't, they didn't have weapons. Most of them were farmers because they were slaves. And so they brought different farming implements. Um, I don't know if they had one of these, but I found it in my mom's garage, the pitchfork of death. <laughs> I have no idea if they had one of those. But as they ran into battle, I think he probably had a scythe. Yes, I had to look up the phonetic um, uh, pronunciation of this. A scythe. And so can you picture that? So he's used to doing hay or grass. I know this isn't a scythe, this is the pitchfork of death, but can you imagine? It, he goes into battle and instead of mowing grass down, he's mowing people down. Ugh, it's gross, isn't it? And really violent and really messy, um, but he did, he did it <laughs> and he helped protect his people. And so um, I'm sure Joshua was appreciative of those farmers that came out and and, and helped him defend their people. So I know there's a lot of fast forwarding through this story. Thanks for sticking with me. So the guy who led the Hebrews out of Egypt, Moses, 
He went up a mountainside. This is like the Cliff Notes version that you always read in college. You're supposed to read the real book, but you did this. Okay. So um, went up the mountainside, met with God, brought down the Ten Commandments. When he comes down the mountain, he finds the people worshiping a gold cow for crying out loud. What is happening? And so Moses and those who sided with the Lord cleaned house that night, and they ended up killing thousands of people who were corrupted. Caleb held firm with Moses, even though some of his very own family died that night. So feel free to watch the Ten Commandments featuring Charlton Heston for more information. All right. Caleb worshiped the God of the Hebrews, and he learned all he could about the law. His entire family um, helped with the prep for the tabernacle. So they're building stuff, they're sewing stuff, they're melting stuff down. Everybody was helping. Every day God provided manna. Now, when you study for stuff like this, you discover all kinds of interesting things. In, for manna in my head, I had a tortilla, you know, or a pita bread. That is not what manna looked like. Now you know I have instant mashed potato flakes. Um, I taped this so that Luke wouldn't dump it on the ground. Thanks, Luke, for not dumping it on the ground. Okay, um, so when they came out in the morning, not on a plate outside their tent, but all over the ground were these little tiny manna flakes. That makes it different, doesn't it? Because after a while, people got tired of this. So this... I would have probably had to be on my hands and knees, right? Picking up my flakes into my little bowl. Like I would have prayed, Lord, I'm going to put a bowl outside my tent. You want to put the man in there tomorrow? I'm cool with that. Because every day they would have had to pick up all these little bit of pieces. So I can kind of resonate now with them that they got a little frustrated with that. After a while, that got really monotonous, a little bit irritable, a little bit restless. They started complaining Okay, well, that makes more sense than going out and picking up a tortilla. Come on, Hebrews, just go pick up your tortilla. But this is different, right? So we got to get this stuff right in our head. So God says to Moses, because they had regular conversations, um, it's time for a recon mission to Canaan, to the promised land. So he instructed each tribe to choose a representative, and the tribe of Judah chose Caleb. So he was going to get to go be the spy on the recon mission. So we're going to look at scripture. You knew I'd get here eventually, right? So we're going to look at scripture. This is the Bible. This is God's holy word. We preach from this every single week. Uh, it's incredibly important to our church. It's incredibly important to the Christian faith. It's a great book, but it's a little bit um, weird. I think that's okay to say, all right? So the front half of the Bible is called the Old Testament. Back half is called the New Testament. The front half shares about a love story that God has with the Hebrew people. It also um, has all these different words of encouragement for us. It shows different people, human beings that did it right and human beings that did it wrong and how God loved both of them and brought them through that. And then it also prophesied about the coming Messiah. So the New Testament is all about the Messiah who happens to be Jesus Christ. He's born in the New Testament. Uh, it goes through his life. It goes through how he hangs out with his friends called the disciples. And then it's about the new church and, and life from there on. And so it's super encouraging for us. We can learn so much from it. So today we're going to look at the book of Numbers. Numbers is in the Old Testament, the first half. And Numbers is a part of the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. So five Pentateuch, it was incredibly important to the Hebrew people. Some of those Hebrews probably had all five books memorized. <gasps> Can you imagine that? That's incredible. So numbers is number four, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, numbers. So that's where we're going to go first. 
Numbers chapter 13, so that's going to be the big number, and verse 17, that's the little number within the sentences, okay? So are you with me about the recon mission here? Here, let me get in the right spot here. The recon mission that the boys are going on. Numbers chapter 13, verse 17. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak. Are they good or are they bad? Are they few or many? What kind of land do they live in? Do their towns have walls? Or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. Perfect. All right. So that was the spy recon mission. So they sent them all out and they decided um, that if they split up into groups, they could probably cover more territory. So Joshua and Caleb became partners on the spy mission. And so they traveled together. Uh, Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They were back. They were back to, uh, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community. There they reported to them and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went to the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. Can you imagine? Maybe your whole life you've had raisins. And this is what they bring back? That would be like, ah, right? It would be so exciting to see the fruit. Now in scripture it says they had to hold a stick and put the grapes over it because the huge... The grapes were such a huge clump. Um, Target didn't have that big of a clump, but it would have been cool to bring it in on a stick, right? Um, But the people who live there uh, are very powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than us. The land we explored devours those living it. All the people we saw there are of great size. So Caleb had such confidence in God. He recognized that God had already given the land to the Hebrews and all they needed to do was obey him. But the others were fearful and they did not go into Canaan. Uh, So the 10 of the 12 spies, I just think that they ticked God off. I think it really frustrated him. And so God and Moses have another conversation and Moses intercedes for the people and God listens, praise the Lord, right? So starting in Numbers chapter 14, verse 20, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb had a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. So because the spies had been on their mission for 40 days, now the people are going to have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you remember 
when you and your two sisters and your brother went on vacation and your brother was being the fool and you all four got in trouble and you told your dad, it wasn't me, it was my brother. And he said, well, I probably missed a time. So I'm gonna, you're all four of you getting in trouble. Do you remember that? Is that just really specific to me? <laughs> Do you remember being in class and one person was acting up and the whole class got in trouble for it? Do you remember that? Oh, Caleb and Joshua were so close. They were so close. It was the other guy's fault, but Caleb and Joshua were still going to have to wait 40 years before they got to go into the promised land. What a bummer. So uh, Caleb watched as God led them back into the wilderness. So you have the pillar of cloud and you have the pillar of fire still leading them and people complained and they bickered and they missed the good old days of Egypt. Remember when they were slaves and how fantastic that was? That's what they were missing. They tired of manna day after day. They tired of the wandering and they tired of watching as their loved ones died. So if you have a million people, the simple math, 40 years, 65 people a day would have died. So can you imagine the heartache that would bring and the fear that would bring? Um, and that fear hardened their hearts against the Lord. So Joshua, strong, quiet Joshua, finally speaks up and says, do you want to hear what I have to say? So be it. Stop talking among yourselves and listen to the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt. It is too late to look back on what could have been we must look forward to the promise God has given us. The promise God has given us. And so Caleb realized that was the promised land. So Caleb had to make a decision because he was watching the people gather their manna and then talk all day. And he decided, you know what? My boys and I aren't going to do that. The boys of Judah are not going to do that. So we're going to do something different. So he decided he was going to start training them. All of them were farmers. Nobody was a soldier. And so he decided, okay, we're going to start some training so these guys can be ready. And so he was running drills all the time for strength and agility and so they could get faster. And so you heard if you walked by kind of their section of the camp, you heard all these trains that lift, 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 right, lift. They're throwing stuff and hitting each other and doing all the stuff that boys do together to train, okay? They're doing all of that. And then the times when they were by an area that had a lot of wood, he would send them out. They would gather all of the wood so they build a big fire because they took all of their farming implements and they melted them down because they knew they were going to have to make weapons. So you either heard them singing, lift, 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 right, lift, or you heard this. Because it became a blacksmith shop, essentially. Right? They were melting everything down to make weapons. Now, they had no idea how to make weapons. They had no idea how to use weapons. That's why they were practicing. So the first sword, I just happened to have a sword at my house to bring to church. It's concerning. I'm very concerned about our family. Um, <laughs> their first sword did not look like this, right? Their first sword, I bet, came out super wonky. So they had to remelt everything, beat it out again so that they could come up with a decent sword, right? And so they were practicing with the sword. They were practicing shooting bows and arrows. I would say they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, but there was no barn in the desert. So they were just trying to hit something, right? And then they had shepherds among them who had always used slings and stones. And so those guys came and did like a little hands-on workshop so that everybody could learn how to use a sling and a stone. 
So they were working on it, trying their best to get ready. So Caleb said to them, you keep your eyes on the Lord, boys, and you be ready. Because every time the cloud moves and the shofar blows, we got to be ready to go. Because they were nomads. They kept moving places. So when the cloud moved, that meant the presence of God was moving them to a new area. All the priests had a shofar. Queenie Irene just happens to have like a real deal shofar. She blows this by the the Peoria River almost every Sunday morning. Not today because I snagged it. But this is like a real ram's horn that they just right off his head, right? And so they hollow it out. And so they would blow the shofar. This is going to be pretty. Okay, ready? And then they passed out. Oh, my word. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) They would blow that. And as soon as those guys heard that, they knew to go and roll up their tents and all their stuff, get it all packed up. And for a million people to move, can you remember going on family vacation? Oy. A million people to move. Guess who was always at the front of the line? Caleb's crew. They would get their stuff wrapped up as like a contest. They'd get it done so fast as soon as they heard that, and they'd be ready to go. So can you kind of picture a conversation, um, I can, between, be very careful with the shofar, Cheryl. Okay, so I can kind of picture this conversation uh, between Joshua and Caleb. So Joshua, remember, they're buddies, but Joshua's like second in command. And so he says to Caleb, hey, who told you to train soldiers? Because I didn't tell you, and I don't think Moses told you, and I don't think God told you. And so Caleb said, when the Lord sends us into Canaan, we have to know how to fight. And Joshua says, the Lord said the land is ours. Yes, the victory is already decided, but we still have work to do. Do you think God just wants us to sit around and eat manna for 40 years? Our work is to believe, Caleb. Yes, Joshua. But faith is proven by action. The spies who went with us into Canaan believed in God, but they refused to act upon their faith by going into the promised land. Maybe if God had crushed the walls of the cities and obliterated everyone, then we would have gone into Canaan. You had no compassion for them, Caleb. They suffered for their lack of faith. Their lack of faith could grow within our ranks and inactivity breeds rebellion. That's a good line, isn't it? Inactivity breeds rebellion. We have something, we have to do something what's better than to prepare for the battle ahead. So that's what he did. They prepared every day. So every morning they'd go out, they'd pick up their manna, their delicious manna, all right? They'd pick that up, they'd go and they would pray. They would make their morning sacrifices. (coughs) Excuse me. They listened to the reading of the law and then they went and trained. Right? And Caleb had all of it set up and they would train and they would practice with all their weapons. The rest of the people started their day very similarly to Caleb's crew. So they would go and collect their manna. They would go and pray. They would go and make their morning sacrifices. Um, They would listen to the law. Then they would go back to their tent and sit outside their tent and eat their manna. And then they would talk and they would talk and their talking turned to complaining and whining which led to rebellious attitudes. Caleb said, no, 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 we are not going to do that. So every time the camp moved, it was like with the precision of an army. 
And so when the cloud rose, when the shofar blow, blew, everybody left. And they learned day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year to follow the Lord. And you know what happened? The old moaned and mourned, grumbled and groaned and died. The young praised and practiced, rejoiced and reverenced God and lived. So fast forward to the end, 40 years after wandering, uh, Joshua and Caleb led the Hebrew nation across the river, uh, Jordan River, into the promised land. And there they spent many years defeating um, all the enemies that lived there. So at the top of your notes, I know we've kind of gone through these, but the very top, you see their travel with the arrows because Kelubai started in Canaan and he ended in Canaan, right? And all those different places in between. This was his prayer at the end of his life, and it's printed in your notes for you. Lord, don't let us become complacent. Don't let us become so used to miracles that we fail to recognize and give thanks and praise for what you have done for us. Sometimes you are so vast. Your ways are so incomprehensible that we fail to see you at all. But you are here. You're over us and behind us. You go before us and you are our rear guard. You breathe life into us. Let us never forget that. So Caleb is 85 years old. He's a farmer. He's a warrior. He's a wanderer. And he spent so much of his life investing in other people for the kingdom. At the end of his life, when he looks back in Joshua chapter 14, he says, for my part, I followed the Lord my God completely. Can you take a second and just kind of think about that? Let that sink in. For my part, I don't have control over any of your parts. But for my part, I follow the Lord my God completely. What an incredible word. Caleb didn't know God until he was about 40 years old. So maybe you came to know the Lord later in your life. Maybe today is the day that you're going to come to know the Lord. The whole time he was waiting, all 40 years, he was actively waiting. He was praying, he was obeying, he was following God's lead, but he was still waiting. Would you take out your communication card real quick? Because on the back of that, um, it says, I choose to actively wait by. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list at all. It's just a list. You could choose to actively wait in whatever situation your life is in. Maybe you're waiting for a new lead pastor. We are, right? Maybe you're waiting for some medical um, tests to come back. Maybe you're waiting for the job that you'd always hoped for. Maybe you're waiting for a relationship. Maybe you're waiting for your family to reconcile. You're actively waiting somewhere in your life. And so you could choose to pray. You could choose for here, continue to attend, just thinking about waiting. We're actively waiting for our new lead pastor. Um, continue to attend, whether you're online with us today, which we love, or whether you're in person. Um, you could start or continue to give financially. You know what? We need help cleaning out our facilities. Pekin, Southside, Summit. We need help with inside projects. We need help with outside projects. So how are you going to choose to actively wait? I will tell you, um, I was uh, on staff. I've been here for 19 years. Um, so I was on staff when Greg Mason was here. And then he left, and we had about seven months before Pastor Brock came. 
In those seven months, did you know that we grew in people? Did you know that we gave continually through that time financially? And did you know we found every closet, every wall, every project in this place to do? So yes, Pastor Brock shared last week how he kind of hit the ground running. He knew a lot of us because he had studied the directories and everything. Guess what? He had to hit the ground running to catch us. Because we weren't sitting around waiting. We were actively waiting. And so in these months, however many months these are, we have an incredible church board. I have very high level of trust for the people that serve there. We elected them. Did you know that? And so I'm praying so much for them that they would be discerning and have great knowledge, great wisdom in how they're moving through this process. But however long those months are, if I decide to just pause my life spiritually, um, how is that going to help me? And how is that going to help the kingdom of God? Not just PFA, not just Summit, not just Southside, literally the kingdom of God. How is that going to help? Because I have people who live on my block who don't know Jesus yet. And I have people in my circle of friends who aren't Christ followers yet. I have people in my extended family who don't know Jesus yet. And they need me. (laughs) They need my story. You have people in your life and they need you and they need your story. And so in just a minute, we're going to, I'm going to pray and then we're going to play this song. Song's called Wait on You. So I don't know what your waiting is, but I would encourage you today, are you going to actively wait Are you going to be a Caleb who says, I'm a farmer. I don't really know how to be a warrior, but we're going to need warriors. So I see that need. I'm going to step into that. We need you. We need stuff done around here. We need stuff done around Southside and Summit. We need some people to step up because you know who can't do it? Dave Milam and me. (laughs) We can't pull it off. We need some help. And so that would be amazing. It would be incredible if you were praying for our new leader. It'd be incredible if you're praying about your situation. You're saying, Lord, how can I actively wait as I wait on fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're waiting on right now. And so we're going to pray. And then during the song, if you would like to come and pray at the altar, you'd be so welcome to. Uh, Last week, we surrounded this man that we like so much and we prayed with him. Do you remember that at the end of the service? This altar is a really special place where you can come and meet with the, the person that you love, the person that you adore and worship who is Jesus Christ. And you can have an incredible prayer time at your, at your pew. You can even kneel at your pew if you'd like to. But if you'd like to kneel here, um, we would encourage that. So let's pray together. Daddy, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about this incredible person. Uh, Kalubai, who became Caleb, who became a, a warrior. A wanderer, yes. A farmer, yes. A waiter, yes. Um, But Lord, he responded to your call in his life and he actively waited on whatever it was that you had next for him. 40 years, Lord, (laughs) that's a really long time. And so Lord, as we wait, as we wait for our new lead pastor, as we wait, some of us for uh, test results that are needed to come back. Some of us are waiting for um, our upcoming wedding. Some of us are waiting for the job that we'd really hoped we would get. Some of us are waiting for that child. Whatever way we're waiting, Lord, Would you help us to be active waiters? Because we're waiting on you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.